serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is that unspeakable gift. And there's no words to really explain how wonderful he is. There's no words that we can speak or express that could really show our gratitude. There is nothing, Lord, that we could really say but stand in wonder of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on our behalf. Would you open your word and help us to think through it and to help see the picture that you will paint? Would you give us deeper understanding that we might have a deeper appreciation of what Christ went through for us? And Lord, would you help us, O God, to see what you sacrificed on our behalf. Lord, we thank you. Now we ask again that you would minister to us in the power of your spirit. And that, Lord, as you said in the scriptures, you opened the minds of your disciples. Would you open our minds? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts to receive? And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody will say, well, hey, this thing took place 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Um, this death of Christ, this birth of Christ, that, that took place ages ago. So what does it mean today? And that's part of what we're going to also try to be bringing out. What does it mean today? Even though it took place hundreds, thousands of years ago, how does it impact us today? What's the real meaning of that for us today? Now, some of us want to put a wall between Old Testament and New Testament. If you have an older Bible, sometimes it reads not Testament, it reads Covenant. Old Covenant, New Covenant. And the word Testament and Covenant comes from the same Greek word. It's also the word in which we get our word will, a living will, your last testament. And you cannot break that will. It's ongoing. Is what the person wanted and what they expressed. Now, and it's something that is irrevocable. You can't change it. You can't say mom or dad made a mistake, they meant this and meant that. No, exactly what's in that will that has to be carried out. In Hebrews 9.22, and we're going to look at a couple of these very quickly just to lay the groundwork. And, oh, where am I? Who, who's back there? Oh, okay. On the screen? Can we get it? Because the whole process is to understand the blood. And I want you to under, follow me with the blood. Because it's a key element in understanding what took place on the cross. Now, if y'all get out of here late, don't blame me. Blame technology. 
And um, the whole issue is the blood of Christ. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission of sin or forgiveness of sin without what? The shedding of blood. And then in Leviticus 17.11, he makes something very clear. Life is in what? In the blood. Everything has blood. Even the trees we call sap, in a sense, is the blood. And when the blood goes up, we see life. If you stop the sap from going up, you don't see life in that tree. You see it dying. So everything is in the blood. Is in that sap. Fish, every creature has some type of fluid within it that represents, in a sense, blood. And then he tells us that life is in the blood. And then from there we move right on because the whole issue from the blood, we need to understand what First Peter says. In a sense, we're not saved by corruptible things. I want you to turn to it. Let's, let's read it. First Peter chapter 1. What did you have to do without it? First Peter chapter 1. And uh, verses 18 through 20. Because it expresses to us how we're saved. And I want you to hold that verse into your mind. Because if you don't keep it, you're going to lose the end part of this sermon when we get ready to connect it together. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He simply says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver, gold, that you were redeemed. He said, not, you know that. You know that. You know that. And it's important for you to be able to follow that word, no. And he says that you know that you're not redeemed with silver and gold or any type of worldly thing. And he goes on, from the empty ways of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb. With this, what? Boy. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So there was that time period. And God allowed man to do everything man could do to save himself in order that down through history, you can pinpoint areas that says, uh-uh, it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. Every place where man tried to conquer and save and control or rule over people, it didn't work. And God gave man time to prove, in a sense, to himself, he needed a savior. Something that would be ongoing, continuous, and that it would be there. And it's something that you could really trust and rely on. In Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made a 
covenant, in a sense, with Adam and Eve. The whole process, Adam and Eve disobeyed. They're put out of the garden. But it says that God covered them with skins, with garments of skin. Now, those garments had to come from some animal who lost what? Their life. And you kill an animal, you're also what? The animal is most likely bleeding. God made these garments from that which man himself would even learn later on to make clothing from. Animals. Everything we have on, boy, basically have a little wool in it or a little something in it that comes from animals. And the whole process, God covered their nakedness with the blood of another creature, an animal. Now, in Matthew 26, 28, it says, this is my blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the covenant. Now, once you understand, here's the word covenant here, or testament, or will. Something that is binding. Something that cannot be broken. And he says, this is my blood. Because every covenant, if you go back through and and just look at all the covenants that God made, basically always had to be blood to seal it. Blood to seal it. And over in Luke, he says the same thing. At the Last Supper, he took the cup. He takes the cup and he says, a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then in Acts 20, 28, he's speaking to the elders of the church or the pastors of the church. And he says, watch over my flock, in a sense, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Now listen, which he bought with what? His own blood. Which he bought with his own blood. Now, Many of you know that I'm a fan of cowboys and Indians, and I enjoy watching them. How did an Indian and a cowboy become blood brothers? Any of you remember some of some some of you young ones? Going, you're just going to be lost, Vic. They both cut themselves put it together, and they became, at that point, blood brothers or brothers, and that could not be broken. For it was considered the blood of both now are running in both of them. The blood is running in both of them. Hang on to that. And that sealed that covenant between them. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, 9 and 12, turn to it, Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 
God is going to make a covenant with Abraham. So he says in that verse 12, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. He fell into a deep sleep in 12. Now let's look what he did prior to that in verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram. (laughs) All animals that are going to be slain or have to shed their blood for this covenant. Along with a dove and even young pigeons. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite to each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. But Abram drove them away. That's what he was doing. It's like chasing your sins away. He's driving them away from that sacrifice that's going to be made. Now catch it, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Now the covenant's going to be made, but Abram's what? In a deep sleep. He's in a real deep sleep, Abram is. Now let's go a little bit further. Because then the Lord said to him, In a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Wait wait a minute. Israel is not yet even in existence. And God is speaking to him while he's in a deep sleep about something that's going to take place hundreds of years later and how long Israel was going to be in Egypt for 400 years and then he would bring them out. But still remember, Abram's in a deep sleep. Come down to verses 17. 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Who is that? That's God. That's God. Remember he led Israel by a flaming fire? And he led during the day by a cloud? Here's God going down between the sacrifice, making a covenant with an individual who is asleep, not participating in the covenant. I want you to remember that when we get to the cross. Not participating in this covenant that's being made. But look what it says in verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The Lord made what? A covenant with him while he was asleep. He made a covenant. 
Not why he was awake. Not why he could participate with it. But why he was asleep. And couldn't do anything. God made a covenant with him. Go over to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Verses 3 and 4. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And the question I want you to ask as we read this. What did David bring? Jonathan and David are going to enter into a covenant. But I want you to look at who's doing the giving. And who's doing the receiving. Again, when we get to the cross, who's doing the giving? Who's doing the receiving? In verses 3 and 4, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave David basically everything that was of his. His robe is his righteousness or his right being next in line to be where? To be the king. He gives that to David. God gives us the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then he gives him his tunic, his sword, his bow, and you would wear this belt where your arrows would go in. He takes that off and he gives it to him. God's divine protection. Even to the point that Jonathan is saying, your enemies will be my enemies. I will fight your enemies. And the Lord tells us the battle is not ours, but it's whose? It's his. And Jonathan's doing all the giving. David's doing all the what? Receiving. All the receiving. And oftentimes that's what takes place even with us. That God's doing all the giving. We're doing all the what? All the receiving. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 because I want you to see the enduring effects of this covenant that David makes. Look at verses 14 through 17. He says, and it's good to read the whole chapter here, but we don't have the time. So from verse 14 through 17, look what John, Jonathan asked David to do. But show me unfailing kindness. Show me 
unfailing kindness, like that of the Lord as long as I, what? Live. So that I may not be killed. Verse 15. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my what? From my family. I'm giving you a lot of little things to hold on to. But hold on to that. Because it's an enduring covenant. It's a continuous covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. He says, even unto my family, my children, my grandchildren, that David, as long as you live, you will be kind unto anyone that's of my household or my family. Go over to Second Samuel chapter 9. Now we're going to see David responding to this covenant. Second Samuel chapter 9. Jonathan and David makes the covenant. David and Jonathan, if you read chapter 1 of Second Samuel, they're dead now. And two of Jonathan's servants finds the other brother and kills him, thinking they're doing David a favor by killing the next one who would be in line for the throne of Saul. But Shephetheth, he also is in line, just a little ways off, but now he's the only one living. And when his nurse finds out what has happened, she takes off running, and we'll see that in Second Samuel 4, 4. She takes off running, and she falls. She falls. And Mephibosheth, he winds up being lame for life. Now, five years old. Now, catch this picture. He's lame because of no fault of his own. He's lame for life. No fault of his own. We're lame for life, not because of our fault, but because of the fault of Adam. For all have fallen in who? In Adam. And there is where we need someone to help us. Because we're disabled and we can't really see about ourselves. No fault of our own in a sense. No more than it was the fault of Jonathan that he was lame. Because the nurse, when she heard that Saul and Jonathan was killed, She's trying to protect him and she takes off running to hide him. And he winds up in Lodabar or Lodabar 
in a desert place where nobody really would want to live. But he's hiding there for years. For years. And then you're going to hear David say, bring him to Jerusalem. Bring him from that wasteland to Jerusalem. Bring him and he's going to sit and eat at my table for the rest of his life. And what we need to understand, God has bought us from afar. We really do, in a sense, eat at the table of God who provides everything for us. Now, go back with me to that chapter 9. Look what David says in verse 1. David now is reflecting on this covenant. Meshivashat, he becomes lame at five years old. The scripture even tells us in verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah in 2 Samuel 9. Now, now think for a moment. You're five years old when you become lame. You have a son. Someone put his age somewhere between 18, early 20s, in which you father a son. So he's a grown man now. And David reaches back to all those years remembering a promise that he made Jonathan this question. He asked this question in this frame. He says, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He looks all the way back to where he makes that covenant with Jonathan. A good 20 years, 15, 20 years, maybe more. And he remembers the covenant that he entered into with Jonathan. And his words are, is there anyone left in Saul's house who I can show kindness to? And somebody speaks then of Jonathan's son. Ziba speaks up and says, There is a grandson of Saul's, a son of Jonathan, but he's been lame all his life. And David asks, Where does he live? And they tell him, Lodabai, oh Lodabai. And he says, go get him. And he's going to eat at my table for the rest of his life. And Mephibosheth, in verse 10, he says, the grandson of your master will always eat at my father's 
will always eat at my table. Will always eat at my table. Why? Because of your father. Come back up into verse 7. Don't be afraid. David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. What's the reason David is going to show kindness to Mephibosheth? What's the reason? For the sake of his father. The covenant took place how long ago? At least 20-something years, if not more. When Jesus sees us, he's the Jonathan in our life, in a sense. And when God sees us, he looks back to Jesus on Calvary. And he shows us kindness because of the covenant that was made there on the cross. I don't care if it gets to be 15,000 years away from the cross. God looks back at the covenant that was made. And because of Jesus... He shows kindness to humanity. Can you see that picture? It's not because of me. It's not because of you. It's not because of what you've done or this has done or, or who you are or whatever titles you may have. It's because of what Jesus has done. Even Mephibosheth asked David, why are you mindful of such a dog as Myself, why are you mindful of me? I'm not even worthy of that. And his answer again is because of the covenant I made with your father, Jonathan, that I will show you kindness for the rest of your life. I will show you kindness for the rest of your life. Now, Jump to the New Testament now in Luke 22.20. Luke 22 and verse 20. And I want you to be able to stay with me in thought. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but just kind of hang in there with me. In 22, verse 20, he simply says, uh, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That is poured out for you. Same thing over in Matthew. In 26, Matthew 26 is saying basically the same thing. But now go to Matthew chapter 1. He uses in that verse 23, 
and my question to you is how? How? How is this done? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God with us. How is God going to arrange to be with us? In the person of Jesus Christ. He arranged to be with us, his creation, in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. You go back up about two or three verses, you also discover the purpose. For he shall save his people from their sins. But how's he going to do that? Go over to John chapter 4 and verse 24. John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. If God is spirit, here comes the question. How is he going to bleed? If all the covenants are made by blood and God is spirit, how is he going to bleed? Is Jesus Christ 100% God? Is Jesus Christ 100% Man. God took his creation in a sense, used its body, its form that he created that could bleed because God is spirit and does not bleed. And the covenant has to be made with what? With blood. And God merges himself within this thing called the body of flesh. And on the cross, we often just say Jesus. What we're seeing, God putting together that which he created, man and God. Man cannot do the forgiving part. But God cannot do the bleeding part. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God merged himself with man in order that he could hang on the cross and he could bleed for us. And when he says it is finished, the covenant is complete. It's everlasting. It's enduring. It's ongoing. It doesn't matter what happens. We have a covenant. 
And every time I look at you, I will remember Jesus on the cross. And I will show kindness and mercy to you. And God alone was able to make that happen by allowing himself to become man 100%. He thirsted, he hungered, he was tired. Yet he could speak and calm the storm. He could walk on water. He could raise the dead. That's the God side. And he merges them. And he goes to the cross for us, representing in that one person, Jesus, representing God, representing man. And without the birth of Christ, that could never take place. Without the birth the cross could never take place. Without the birth of Christ, we could never have had a covenant. Without the birth of Christ, there would never been any bleeding or shedding of blood that covers the sin and washes away the sin. Without the birth of Christ. And that's why Christ had no problem saying, I'm born to die. I'm born to go to the cross. Because the covenant could never be sealed without the shedding of blood. And the only way God was going to shed blood is if he merged himself in a sense with his creation and become man and do what man could not do. Remember when the Pharisees, when Jesus healed a a paralytic man, in the temple, and the Pharisee said, only God can forgive sin? That's true. Only God can forgive sin. And he merges with man. And he does his part as God. Man does his part, in a sense, by bleeding. Because God is spirit and does not bleed. But man does. And again, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And on the cross, he represents both. Jesus represents man and God. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus saying, it's finished. What's finished? An enduring covenant. An everlasting covenant. The word of God. That goes from generation to generation to generation to generation. And it's just as effective today as it was when it was made on Calvary. When he said to the thief on the cross, this day, you shall be where at? In paradise with me. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this day, if you die today, you would be with him. You'll be with him. Not because 
of your righteousness, not because of your goodness, not because of anything you have done, but an enduring covenant that was made on the cross. You had nothing to do with it. Just like Abraham went to sleep, nothing to do with it. You had really nothing to do with what took place on that cross. You had nothing to give, just like David. He didn't give Jonathan anything. Jonathan gave all the giving. And God on the cross gives all the giving that we might have salvation. Had to be born as a man. Had to be born in this human body to shed blood. And yet God had to be there to say, forgive them. Forgive them. And it's finished now. The covenant is made. An everlasting covenant, an enduring covenant. A covenant is that is irrevocable and it will stand until Jesus comes. That's why I can trust in him. That's why you can trust in him. You have an irrevocable will of God that if you accept him, you receive all the inheritances of Jesus. And you sit at his table and you eat and you are protected by him because of the covenant. Amen. Could you put the dots together? An Old Testament story that has a lot of effects in the New Testament story of the birth of Christ and help us to see why he had to take on humanity. Why he had to be take on this body. Because God is spirit. And God is the one who instituted The remission of sin is only by the shedding of blood. We see it in Genesis 3, where God heals the animals to clothe who? Christ died to clothe us in his righteousness. We inherit all the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. I want you to see that. I want you to see the importance of his birth. I want you to see the importance of the of Calvary and what really took place there. God and man in one person, Jesus. Jesus, sealing this covenant between man and God that lasts even till today. That if you're here without Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, I repent of my sins. He will save you. And it will be just as real as it was when it first started. It has the same effect because you're under the same covenant. You're under the same covenant that people of ages ago were under. You're under that covenant made by the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
with his Father. Father, we just thank you and praise you that at Christmas, Lord, we can reflect on why did Jesus have to become an individual person? Why did he have to take on flesh? Why did he have to possess a body? Why did he have to know hunger and pain and rejection? Why did he have to know these things? Because that's part of what humanity is. And he experienced what he created in a sense. In this person called man. And yet, Lord, he's the one who redeems us. He's the one who saves us to the othermost. He's the one, oh God, because no one else could do it. No one. And Lord, help us to see the real picture. Help us connect the dots and understand what took place with the birth and Calvary. The joining of God and man that we this thing today called salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest gift of all. The gift of eternal life that was foreordained before this world ever begun. That this would take place. Help us, O oh God, to see it clearly. And help us, Lord, to deeply, deeply deeply appreciate what you did on our behalf. It was just not Jesus going to the cross, but it's God and man on that cross making this covenant. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Come on. Challenge you to do something this year. Have, when we were kids, we used to get these books, these coloring books, and you had to connect the dots. You remember those books? You had to connect the dots, and after you finished connecting the dots, you saw the picture. As I was doing this and reading more and more and trying to understand more about Jonathan and, and the covenant and, and the New Testament covenant where Jesus said, this is in my blood, this new covenant's in my blood, and trying to put it together. Now the dots had to be drawn for me to see the picture. If you keep reading God's word, well, sometimes I hear this. I'm reading it and I don't have understanding. It's like them dots. You, you keep putting those dots together and eventually you see the picture. If you keep reading God's word and you stay in God's word, even though you may not understand it right now, if you stay in there, the Holy Spirit will connect those dots and you'll see the picture. You'll see the picture. The reason a lot of people don't see the picture is because they're not in God's Word. And the Word is life. The Word is life. But you got to connect the dots to see God's picture. And I pray that you'll hang in and that you'll keep reading, you'll keep searching, you'll keep wanting to. Because that Bible is inexhaustible. You cannot grasp it all in one lifetime. Keep reading. And as you read, pray this little prayer because this is my prayer. You don't have to pray it the way I do, but I say, Lord, as I read, open my mind. Open my eyes to see, and Lord, nail it in my heart. Those are three things I ask God to do as I read his word. Open my mind. Open my eyes that I can see it. But then nail it, seal it in here that I can believe it. It's not just some fairy tale. It's not some imaginary thing. It's not just this. It's something you want to grasp and hold to because it's enduring. It's everlasting. It will take you through life victoriously if you hold to it. Father, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, you are our God. And we have an everlasting covenant with you. And that, Lord, you'll never break that covenant. You will fulfill every promise that you have made. And you will show us kindness. You will show us your blessings. You will be merciful unto us. You will open doors for us. 
You will cause us to be successful in this life. You will cause us to prosper. You will cause us, O oh God, to live in the image of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for the covenant that you have made with us. And it doesn't depend upon us, but it totally depends upon you. Fulfill your in our lives. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know why. He sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. Yeah, I don't know why Jesus loves me. I don't know why he cares. I don't know why. He sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he Sleep, sleep in the 
heavenly the way 